Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here again with Dan Rudman. And we're moving into a different topic uh, today. Uh, it's the topic of coveting. Uh, and it's it's kind of a, a, a sin that really isn't mentioned much today. Uh, you, re- you, you really don't hear many people calling out the sin of coveting in their brothers and sisters in the church. Oh, man, you've been, you've been coveting today. I know you've been desiring this or blah, 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 blah. It's just one of those, those sins that kind of goes unnoticed, and it really does just— I mean, it's something in us. It's something that's—it's hard to really see physically or, or see with your eyes. I mean, you, when somebody's committed adultery or when someone's <laughs> stealing something or doing some, uh, some type of sin that's just—it's just visible for all to see. You know, those are the th- things or the sins that we really kind of pay attention to in our churches. And those are the sins that uh, we have church discipline over and all these things. But the sin of coveting is— Man, it kind of can go unnoticed, but it, it's it's a big deal, and it's something that we need to be talking about today. And and I mean, the sin of coveting has been around since the very beginning, since Adam and Eve in the garden. From the very beginning, coveting was an issue. Uh, so it's not like this is new, but and we'll get into a definition, and we'll get into some scriptures, and we're going to talk about it quite a bit here. Uh, but why I say it's something that we need to be talking about today. Uh, it just, I guess it just seems more relevant to our cultural moment in our country. Uh, we have this sense of entitlement in our society today. Uh, we think we deserve things that we don't have. Uh, we look at, we look at even just our the structure of our government and and, and capitalism and all this stuff and. In a sense, we're drifting away from that into more of a socialist type of feel, and we have candidates and we have people on the on uh, on the liberal side or, or the democratic side that are drifting towards socialism. Some of them claim to be socialists, and it's this idea that we all deserve to be equal or we all deserve to have the same things uh, and the same levels of power and the same possessions and all this stuff. Same, 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 same. Equality, 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 equality. And, and obviously, I mean, that just, it just makes sense then that really that's, that comes out of the sin of coveting. So, okay, I say coveting, what, what is coveting? Maybe we should put a definition behind it before we go any deeper. And then we'll kind of look at the scriptures too and how it defines what coveting is. But coveting really is uh, desiring something that you don't have or desiring to be something or be someone that you were never created to be. So in a sense, it's desiring something that you were never created to have or desiring to be someone that you were never created to be. And again, Dan and I have been plugging this idea of presuppositions, these assumptions that we take to the table, these these truths or these facts that we build everything off of or on top of. What are the base foundations that we build all of our ideas, all of our beliefs on top of? And we've been talking about this basically in every episode that we've done, presuppositions. What's our ultimate presupposition? That the eternal triune God exists and he created all things for his glory and he has all power and he controls all things. So he is our creator, and he created humanity for a very specific purpose. And this is key. This is key when we start to get into the sin of coveting. 
desiring to be something you were never created to be, desiring to have something you were never created to have. So again, we have to talk about creation, God. Why did he create us? And what did he create us for? And who did he create us to be? That's fundamental in the discussion. So, I mean, base presuppositions, our purpose for existence, God created us, well, to glorify him, to be satisfied in him, to worship him, to trust him as our God, to know him intimately. And he created us, in a sense, to be pure and perfect and to be holy as he is holy so that we could have perfect worship of him. Uh, but what was the great error of man? What was the sin of man? Well, it was, <laughs> again, a desire to be something you were never created to be, to have something you were never created to have. And we, we could say that this is, in a sense, the sin of autonomy. Man wants to be autonomous. Man wants to be in control of his destiny. Man wants to be like God, in control, have power, be able to determine their destiny, their outcome, and go their own way. And so... Out of this sin of autonomy, out of this desire to be something you were never meant to be, comes this, this, this love for the world, this love for created things rather than the creator. Mm. We were created to, to be satisfied, to enjoy, to glorify, to worship an eternal God, an eternal God, not a creation, not a created being, an eternal God who's always existed. Yet, in our sin, we desire these created things. We desire these things that aren't eternal. We desire the things of the world that God spoke into, into existence from nothing. We desire ourselves, really. And we start to seek our own glory in our own gain. And then when we look at the world, and now, okay, now we're talking post-fall, okay, Adam and Eve desired something they were never meant to have or be. The same is true with Satan. He desired to be like God, and he fell. And now we're in this post-fall, sinful world where we're all living for ourselves and we look around at each other and we see that, oh man, that person over there has, some, has something that I don't have. Oh, he has, you know, back then, oh, maybe he has one more field. Or <laughs> think about the, the first act of murder in the Bible, Cain killing Abel. Abel had a better sacrifice to God. It was pleasing to God. Cain's sacrifice sucked, and he desired. <laughs> I mean, it and he desired what his brother had. He desired that that his his the really the fact that he was in God's favor because he had a good sacrifice. And so, what did he do? He killed him because he desired what Abel had. And so, here we are in this post-fall world, and we look around and we see all this. And this is why this is so relevant to today. We see all this inequity. All these things that we don't have that others have. Oh man, that person has more of this. More money, more power, more position, more uh, notoriety, more more whatever. You know, whatever it is. More influence. However you want to say it. It could be anything in this world. Defined by this world. Oh, they have a better car. Oh, they have better grades. Oh, they have a better apartment. Oh, they have a better house. Oh, they have more land. I mean, Dan and I, we, we kind of joke about this. We have deer heads behind us. <laughs> and it's so it's so odd, but in the hunting world, like literally, 
I mean, I can, it's like, it would be so easy for me to look behind Dan, I'm looking at him on the screen because we're doing Google Hangout when we do this, and I, and I see these giant bucks, bucks that I've never shot, and big, you know, I've never shot bucks that big in my life, and I could look at those bucks and go, oh man, Dan has bigger bucks than me, I want those bucks, I want what Dan has, and I'm coveting it, and I envy his, 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 his hunting ability and his land that he can hunt on and these big bucks that he can get into. It's just like you can do it with anything. You can do it with anything. I remember it's kind of a, another story. It was uh, just a little over a year ago. Dan and I were hunting in Ontario, and and Dan can attest to this. I mean, we all shot a bit. We were, what was the group, Dan? It was like a group of 11 or 12 of us. I think it was 10. 10? 10, 10. And we all shot a bear, except one guy, but he kind of chose not to. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> we all shot a bear. It was great, successful hunt. But this one guy shot this monster of a bear. It was an absolute monster, like huge. I mean, it's a it's a black bear, but you'd think that that thing looks like a grizzly bear or something. This thing looks like a, just something out of a out of a like a horror movie or something. <laughs> it's like crazy big. And it's so odd. Even as a Christian, you can look at that giant bear and you can go, man, I wish I shot that. I wish I would have been in that stand and have that big monster walk by me. And Yeah. Oh. So that's that's the sin of coveting. Desiring things you weren't supposed to have, never meant to have, never created to have. Desiring to be a person or someone you were never created to be. You were never created to be. Yeah. <laughs> in control of your destiny. You're never created to be autonomous. You're never created to, to glorify yourself. You're created to glorify God. That is your purpose for existence. And that's why you exist. And and the thing is, is back to presuppositions, the God that we worship, the God that we were created for, he is in control of all things. He controls everything. And so everything that you do have, because you do have things. We have things. I, I own material things. I have a car. I have clothes. I have a bow. I have guns. I got sweet mounts on my wall. Not as many as Dan, but I still got some. <laughs> I got a bunch of books. I mean, I got stuff. Yeah. And I got a level of inf- influence, you could say. And I have a, I mean, everybody does in a sense. And I have certain relationships and all these things that I have. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how much you do indeed have. And everything that you do have, and this is key, was given to you by God. And anything that you do not have, God, you would say then, logically, God never meant for you to have it. It wasn't yours to have. And and obviously we see this manifest itself a lot in, in relationships and coveting your neighbor's wife. Uh, and you can look at your neighbor's wife and you go, oh man, she's she's beautiful. I want her. But no, she's not yours to have. Never was she meant to be yours. Ever. Not in God's plan, not in God's mind, not in God's knowledge, not in God's predetermined plan for for the world and for your life. You were never created to have her. Mm-hmm. So you should not desire her. And if you desire her, it's sin for you. And it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a car, whether it's something material, whether it's uh, a person, whether it's a position, doesn't matter. I mean, and we could even look at it today with, uh, with transgenderism. You were created by God, male or female, one or the other. And now you have a bunch of people who are 
desiring improperly and sinfully to be the other gender. I, God created me a man, but uh, I desire to be a woman. And so I'm going to go to great lengths to actually physically try to make myself a woman. No, that's coveting. That is sin. That is wickedness. So th that's what we see today. We see this, especially in my generation, especially in, in gener the millennials, and I, I think it's now Gen, Gen Z, I think, is the, the younger than millennial generation. Uh, but it, there's just this overwhelming sense of entitlement that I deserve these things, that I deserve money, and I deserve uh, uh, things in an iPhone and whatever it is. Uh, and, and, and you actually see these – it's interesting. If you look at some TED Talks or certain business talks, you see these, these, these big CEO business leaders, corporate guys, and as they're hiring the younger generation out of college, they start to see that they just, they just, they just think that they're entitled this position or this job or this career. And the salary that that comes with it, they just think they're entitled to it. So so they'll they'll maybe show up to work a little late, or they won't work hard at work, or they just they just think it's just a reality that I just get this and I'll get all the benefits of having this job, and I don't really have to do anything. It's mine. I'm entitled to it, and and it's been created in them by their by their helicopter parents or their parents that are just their advocates that just fight for them. The older millennial generation, the ones that are in their High thirties, low forties now. I don't know where the cutoff is actually, but it was just this, this, this. They started to, in a sense, raise their children in a way to make them think that they're entitled to these things, and they'll be their advocate. And that's why we have this whole anti-bullying movement. And the the deal is that you talk to every single person who's ever went through public school, and they were bullied in some fashion, in some way. It's just the way it is. We live in a wicked world with wicked people, and kids are also wicked, and they're going to make fun of other kids, and it's just the way they're it, the way it is. But now we have this anti-bullying movement where, like, man, if you're bullied, it's—I mean, parents will come in, and they will—like, it, it's crazy what happens. I mean, kids are just—they have advocates everywhere. They never have to learn to be resilient. They never have to learn to, in a sense, fend for themselves and be hard workers and, and make it. Everything was given to them. And so we do have this overwhelming sense of entitlement. And in that, in that sense then, when naturally we look into this world and we see things that we do not have and we see money that we do not have and we see power that we do not possess, we go, that's not fair. I want that. And we covet it. And we think that we should be coveting. And we think it's right. We think it's just for us to covet that, to desire that, to want that. And if we don't have it, we say that's somehow unjust and this is wickedness and blah, 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 blah. And it's again because we've defined our satisfaction by the things of the world and not by enjoying and glorifying an eternal God who is not this physical world. So that's kind of a, a, an introduction, a basis. Let's actually get into some scripture. I want to show you some interesting things about this sin. Uh, the first place I want us to go is is just Colossians 3, 5. And we're going to get a little bit more of a definition here to coveting. And listen to what Paul says. He says, uh, starting in verse 5, Colossians chapter 3, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. <laughs> earthly in you. These, these worldly <laughs> desires. These desires that you were never supposed to have. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, 
evil desire and covetousness. That's a hard word to say. Covetousness. I like to say coveting. It's easier. <laughs> and, he, and he goes this. Listen to this. Which is idolatry and covetousness, which is idolatry. So here we have a little bit of a clarification to this definition that we've been given. Coveting is, you could say equals, if you want to write it down on a piece of paper, equals idolatry. Idolizing something. Worshipping something other than God. You're creating for yourself an idol and you're worshipping it and you're desiring it. And it's not God. You were created for one the triune God who exists, and you're now worshiping something else. So covetousness, coveting, is idolatry. And I want you to see it, kind of an interesting thing with the with the Ten Commandments here. So if you if you were, if you have your Bible before you, if you just want to listen, if you flip back to Exodus 20 when Moses is given the Ten Commandments, uh, let's see here, Exodus 20, and you look in verse three. It's the first commandment given in the Ten Commandments. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. That really is the sin of uh, 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 idolatry. If you have another god except the one god who does exist, that is idolatry. That is the sin of idolatry. That is the first commandment given. And obviously it it carries a level of weight to it because it's the first one given. But then if you look at the, the last commandment, number 10 in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So, in a sense, (laughs) these two sins are synonymous with each other. Uh, Paul makes the connection that coveting is idolatry, and they serve, in a sense, as these bookends to the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, don't idolize. The last commandment, don't covet, in a sense, they're kind of the same thing here. And it's it's almost like this this emphasis that that the sin of idolatry and the sin of coveting is, in a sense, the fundamental root of, of a plethora of sin. Uh, thousands of sins come out of the sin of idolatry well, and the sin of coveting. Could I add something go to for that, it, Sam? Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. Well, the thing that always strikes me about this is as you talk about, you talk about first and tenth. Actually, um, those are the doorway to every other. Yeah, doorway. That's a great way to they're, say it. They're the doorway to every other sin. That's what's crazy right. if you think about it. Right. So, I mean, you know, and I, I, I talk about this a lot when I'm talking with people about the nature of sin, even unbelievers. I mean, think about this. Um, this idea of coveting is a desire. Yeah. And here, the crazy thing to me is you don't have to do anything. <laughs> that's why it's so hard to point out at somebody right. oh you're coveting it's like <laughs> you i don't know what i'm you sort of desiring inside of here you just sort of have to sit here and you find a desire in yourself and then it's that desire that's the doorway that leads to the whole mess right and and, and that's in uh, uh james says the same thing you know yes uh you know you start uh let no one say when he's tempted i'm being tempted for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away, enticed by his own lust. Yep. See, see, but he's tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Okay? So, it's kind of like this. This is the sequence. It starts with a thought. Okay? You have just a thought. And that mm-hmm. kind of begins to stir within you a desire, which is coveting. Yep. 
And then that leads to this, this empowering lust. I want to have this thing bad. Yeah. And then that's the temptation that leads to sin that leads to death. So I just want to, it's just interesting to me that the doorway is again, tying together idolatry and coveting, or just even just saying coveting, it's the doorway. It's the doorway to, you can't, in a sense, you could say it this way, you can't violate any of the other 10 commandments, the other eight, without first going through the doorway of coveting. Right. Desiring something other than God and then going on and saying, well, if I had this, whatever this is, or if I could be this, it would satisfy my soul. Right. And, And Paul picks up on it. And I'm not trying to, I know you have more probably to preach there, Sam, and you should. Uh, no, in a good way, right? But no, seriously, Paul picks up it in Romans 7, 7 when he's talking about sin. Uh, what yep. shall we say then is law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. And I just, again, I find it fascinating. Paul's kind of trying to help you understand the nature of sin within your soul. And right. he goes to coveting. Yeah, of all yeah. the sins he could have talked yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, he could. I mean, think about it. You know, I imagine. You know, I don't know who all that's listening to you, but you know, you think of the sins of our culture, and you think of, you know, the sins of you know even young people, younger people in life, and you know, uh, sensuality, all sorts of things he could have went to, that right. we would say, oh well, that's obvious, you know. Well, he right. go, he goes to coveting, and I just think, isn't that interesting? And then you realize, again, if you really take the time to think about it, it is the doorway. It is. And then, you and then you know, and I know you're going to get here and we're going to flesh it out more, but, I mean, it's almost a sense. Like, it's not new. It's not new. I agree with you on that. Um, but it's almost like this, the, the sin of a society or sin of our culture, sin of our day. Yeah. You know, every advertisement we get is to entice us to want more things, uh, all the imagery you know, yes. uh, what do we call it? Optics and fashion. All of these things posed at us through imagery are telling us what we're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to be like, what we're supposed to have. Uh, I mean, it's really kind of crazy. It really is. You know, uh, yeah. yep. it, the whole system is built on this. The whole societal right. system around us and getting us to desire and to buy and to long for things and you know, to work out, to have the right body, to have the right job, to look the certain thing. All of that is built on this uh, 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 wrongful use of coveting. It's really interesting. Yeah, know? absolutely. Absolutely. And, and man, and, and it's just you, people are really preaching in our culture today that if you don't have this, then, man, something's wrong. Yeah, uh, the person that does has got it unjustly somehow, and they don't deserve it, and we all deserve to have it. And uh, let's try to create this 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 equity, this overarching equity, where we all have the same thing. <laughs> yeah, like... well, right, and and I don't know, and you know, here's the problem. the The thing I th- see in this is that, um, well, there's a couple things. Again, I don't know what we're going to get to here, but. You and I've talked some, Sam. I, I've wondered, and I don't know what to do with all this. Okay, you talked about bullying. Okay. Yeah. There's obviously a place to say we want to try to protect kids from being bullied wrongly, right? And, right. And maybe right. sometimes it wasn't addressed like it could be. I mean, there's a fairness there. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Right, there's a fairness there. Um, but you wonder how far it goes when all of a sudden, like we've talked about, 
you know, you grew up in a generation where everybody got a trophy, right? Like, right. Like, no, wait the a minute. participation ribbon. <laughs> right, right. Which, okay, I understand well, a right. part of it. I sort of understand. But the other side of it is, no, you, we, it, it really meant something to get something because you worked hard and you, you earned yeah. it. And, and granted, some had, some had more skill than other people. You were born that way. But that's the way it is. Again, it's the same idea. It's like I'm not supposed to look at anybody else. I'm supposed to take the package that's been given to me exactly and be a steward of it we can talk about those verses but i'm supposed to take who i am i'm accountable to god for who i am and everybody has some kind of if you will a package of tools or whatever it is they've been given and they they are to care for that and steward that and work that and develop that um but i can't compare myself to anybody else right right now, now here's the danger with the sin of coveting. Obviously, Dan said it's the doorway, which is exactly right, and it is equated with idolatry, which is the chief of sins in a sense, worshiping anything other than God, who you were created to worship. So here's why this is such a big deal, and we're seeing it unfold in our country today. I mean, look at the riots. Look look at the violence that's occurring. Um and we could say it's stemming from coveting, really. And we see this in Scripture. We see this so clearly in Scripture. Let's actually go back to James. So, uh, Dan mentioned James 1 where he shows us that our, our sin really is is birthed in, in, in a desire in our own being. Um, and, and just kind of as, a, as a, a note on that as well, we've been <laughs> – I've, I've been hearing this in Christian circles lately, this idea that desire, misplaced desire, isn't necessarily sinful. And that's just odd to me. That, and and this is where you really hear it. Homosexual desire isn't a sin. It's only a sin if you act on it. And I want to go, where on earth did you get that idea from? Again, desiring something that you were never created to experience uh, a sexual encounter was only created between to be experienced between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage, and that's it. And if you desire any type of sexual experience outside of that, it is sinful. And so if you desire, say you're a man and you desire another man sexually, that is sin. The desire purely is sin. You were never created for that. Never. And so we've been hearing in our culture today this idea that desires, oh, they're not, you know, <laughs> they're not necessarily sinful, only if you act on them. But that's just that's just ridiculous. And, and, and you put any other sin in that formula and you you would think you would see that it's ridiculous. Oh, I, I desire to murder people, but I'm not acting on it. So it's not sin. Well, what does Jesus tell us in the Sermon on the Mount about the, the Ten Commandments, really? Yeah, you, you say you shall not murder, you should not murder. But I tell you that even if you are angry with your brother or you, you have this internal desire or this feeling of hatred towards your brother, that is, that is as though you have murdered him. It's like murder. You're still sinning. So this idea that desire isn't sin unless it manifests itself in some external outward behavior is just ridiculous. No, desire is indeed sin too if it's wrong. Mm-hmm. 
So that's just kind of a little bit of a, a side note there. Well, even but, even another, I know you want to get to James here, but a couple scriptures to think about is like in the garden. I mean, that was the temptation. Um, like she, uh, Eve had already caved to it when she began to let this desire stir within her. Like she could be on her own apart from God. That's what we mean by autonomous. And she got right. to make a decision. What do I, do I want to do this or do that? She'd already caved. But then further, if you think about it, the, the, the temptation is to her desire. And, right. and it actually says that, you know, it's like, um, this is desirable to the eyes. It's desirable for food. And, oh, it'll make one wise. Like, I will have knowledge of God. Right. And it, like, no, you were never created for this. And that was never created to give you that sustenance. No. Well, then, right. then you go to uh, like Luke 4 in the temptation of Jesus. And it's very similar. The, the temptation is you can have this stuff. You can have power. You can have all these kingdoms. You can have all this stuff. It's the same yeah. thing. And, yeah. of course, uh, Jesus as the second Adam, if you will, uh, won. You know, he's the victor. Oh, man. Right? What a beautiful thing for us. You right. know, thank you, God. But yeah, <laughs> but he didn't cave to even the, the desire. He didn't cave to it. No. And no. so so anyway, was... yeah, I'm, I'm just affirming it. I mean, even when you say that, it's so bizarre. It's like, no, this is where the whole thing starts. This is which exactly show, it shows me. I you can't like, separate it. This is what Jesus was saying when he said, you know, you uh, even, if, you know, about adultery, you know, uh, uh, just lusting it and desiring it. You've already caved. You've already right. shown what's inside of you. Exactly. And that's the that's the stunning thing. Why the grace of God, you know, the gospel is so powerful is because I can't clean that up. Right. I have to be honest about that. I have these desires. They, they flow through my soul every day. Right. You know, I think it was Calvin uh, that said, you know, we're idle factories, you know. Like right. we're, right. we're right. All, always coming up with something new to worship instead of God. Right, right. And so to, right. Be, to be aware of. So I think what you're saying, Sam, and I, what I want to affirm is that we live in a secular world, a non-Christian world. Um, we live, you know, I mean, man has always struggled with this in the world, right? But we have this thing around us that gets like highlighted or celebrated as if it's right and good. And it's not. That's what's so weird. And yeah. so and so to be aware of that, to say, okay, like like all around me are these messages. I deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve this. We all deserve the trophy. I, de I should have this. This should. <laughs> I mean, that's the message that's been like mm -hmm. pummel well, pummeled in into the minds <laughs> of people. And so now... Again, it may be a little bit of a shift, and maybe we're overstating it. I don't really think so, but now you get into the kind of the political discussion, the cultural discussion, like you said, you know, the you know, capitalism, socialism, that whole idea. Right. It's, it's like, where did this idea ever come from? That everything's supposed to be the same, you know, um, you know, where did the where did those ideas come from? And it's back to what we've done in a number of the podcasts that I've done with you, at least. Yeah, is you got to go back to these presuppositions. You've already highlighted that, but like, that's always my curiosity. To be honest with you, like, where did this come from? Like, right now in the church, in the evangelical church in the U.S., there's this big discussion. I mean, it's huge, right? It's overwhelming us. Social justice. I mean, that's right. kind of what this is a little bit about. But it's, yeah, but but like years ago, I would have said, no. Where's this coming from? 
why are we all of a sudden talking about this? You know, again, yeah. as a little bit older guy, right? Like I've been able to, you know, be part of this uh, uh, evangelical culture, if you will, for almost 40 years now. Well, it is. For the, I guess it's 40 years this fall. So I say in 40 years, I watch these trends come, you know, these ebbs and flows and these things. Yep. And I'm always suspicious, like, where did that come from? Why are we doing this now? And right. if you and if you backtrack, if you backtrack, you go, ah. And so what we're saying today, I think, and why you wanted to do this podcast and, you know, I wanted to participate in discussion, is that what I see in a lot of this is back to this seed of idolatry and coveting. Yep. And, Absolutely. And, and yet it's been celebrated, right? It's been, yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's, it's like, like it's like somehow virtuous. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like really weird. This 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 out of control desire for things you do not have is somehow virtuous, and we to the point to where we need to start like forcing this this distribution of 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 resources and and creating manufacturing this superficial equity that just actually doesn't actually exist. And and I mean I think COVID has has, has created a very interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of taken the veil off a little bit of of some of the the uh, the desires behind some of these people in our country in power and stuff and some of the the Democrats. This this even with the um, the uh, uh, what am I trying to say the. Um, Stimulus package and the uh, unemployment checks and the added money that you put on your unemployment check. Like, the number of, of friends that I have, uh, even some family members, that w are making or have been making or were making more on their unemployment check than they were when they were working yeah. full-time is ridiculous. Yeah, it happened to my son and his business. He had employees that were like, you know, we we like you, Dan, and we want to work for you, but we can make more money sitting home. Oh, exactly. <laughs> it was like, and and you want you want to go? What on earth? Here's 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 a fundamental error with that. One, God created us to be to work, to work before sin even entered the world. God created Adam to work the ground of the garden, to work it and take care of it. He was designed for that, and it was good, and it and it yeah. and it. Brought joy to his life. It was it was something fundamentally created in him to do, oh, to the and, glory of and, God. Oh yeah, and Sam, and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Exactly. Like like that's like, again. Like, no, it's, I worked it's very I, satisfying. I, I, I worked hard and I got this harvest. I worked hard and I won this trophy. Like exactly. That's really weird. Like in certain settings, it's looked on as if that's wrong. Yeah, and then they look at the guy, the capitalist guy who built a business from the ground up and now is a millionaire, rightly so. Yeah. He worked his butt off. If people even understood how many hours a week oh, those, yeah. those young entrepreneurs work when they're starting a business, I mean, they'll work 80 to 90 hours a week sometimes to yeah. get this thing going oh, for years and years and years and years. And now they look at them with their 50, and yeah, they're they're millionaires, and they're kind of able to take life easy a little bit. They somehow say, that's just horrible. It's like, you have no idea. Right. And but here's the thing with this, the with the unemployment checks and stuff. It's just like, it's in again. It's 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 breeding this desire to be lazy and this breeding this 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 entitlement mentality of man. I just should be able to just live at home and do whatever the heck I want to do, and and just really just gratify the desires of my flesh and just still get a check in the mail so I can eat and continue to do what I want to do. It's like that's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. So the, there is an actual 
visible, true manifestation of this this overarching idea of coveting that we're looking at in our culture right now. Uh, <laughs> it's just absolutely ridiculous. So, okay, the danger of coveting. And why I say, again, here's that reality in our country, this on a socialist reality. Oh, we should all just get a check in the mail. Where do you think that money comes from? It came from taxes of people who were working. And as soon as, as, soon as it's going to run out, it just doesn't, it's just money doesn't grow on trees. And if you keep printing money or blah, 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 you're going to have crazy inflation. Nonetheless, I, I, I'm not a, an economics guy. I actually really don't enjoy it at all thinking about that stuff, but it's just kind of the reality. But on the other hand of it, this is what covetousness, I can't say that word, coveting produces. It, it has a logical conclusion to it. It's a doorway into all types of sin, but it has a progression. It has a logical <laughs> flow to it. And we see this in James chapter 4. Um, and listen to what James says at the beginning of chapter 4. He goes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He's asking a question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And he goes, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So we'll just stop there. So what is what is the conflict? Why do we see all these fights in our society, in our nation, in our families, in our cities, in our whatever it is. And he's, I mean, James is actually writing to Christians here, to Jewish Christians. And he's, I mean, we have every reason to believe that he's he's really talking about that there in this church, in this Christian community, there was fights and quarrels going on. What causes quarrels and fights among you? And he's saying, is it not this? He's telling you, this is the reason. This is why you're fighting and there's conflict. Your passions are at war within you, so he's talking about the flesh here. You have this fleshly desire because of sin <laughs> to have what you were never made to have or be who you, be who you were never created to be. So you have these sinful desires and passions within you, and they're at war within you. And because you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God within you, so now you actually indeed do have this battle going on within your soul, within your being against the Spirit and the flesh, and we see that battle in Galatians 5 too, where where Paul says that the spirit is in opposition to the flesh, so you can't do what you want to do. So we have these wicked passions within us, but because we're Christians, now there's a war happening, and there's a battle happening within our desires. But this is the desire of the flesh. You desire and you do not have. You look at the world, you look at what others have, and you do not have it. So what does it lead to? So you murder. Now, he's not—James isn't actually saying that these Christians were murdering each other. Uh, that, would be, that would be out of place. But he's saying—what he's, what he's really saying is that misplaced desire and coveting leads to murder. That is the logical conclusion, is murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. That is the conclusion. So why do we see in our country all these—, these these, I mean, certainly there are some peaceful protests, and that that's fine. But we also see, 
you could almost say a disproportional amount of of actual violent rioting and violent conflict and we do see people getting hurt and we do see people getting murdered and it stems from coveting which is just crazy you desire and you do not have so what do you do you murder and it's just again that's why this is such a big deal that's why this is such a a relevant topic in our society today because we have this overwhelming desire to have what we do not yet have. And we <coughs> pinpoint a few people, the millionaires or the billionaires, and we say, look at all that they have. I want that. I deserve that. Why do they get that? And I don't have it. Mm. And the logical conclusion is murder. Now, we see this all over Scripture. I just want to give you one example. I've obviously already talked about Cain and Abel. That, you could say, was just the clearest first example in the beginning of Genesis. But further on in Genesis, we have the story of Joseph, Joseph and his brothers. Uh, you're probably familiar with the story. Uh, Jacob, who was renamed Israel, uh, had 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, and Jacob had, <laughs> if you know the story... He had two wives who were sisters, Leah and Rachel. And he loved, the Bible says he, he loved Rachel uh, and he hated Leah. Uh, that's certainly harsh language. But basically, if you know the story, he, he worked for ye, seven years uh, for their father to win the hand of Rachel in marriage. So he wanted to marry Rachel. And he worked for seven years to marry Rachel. Uh, uh, their father was a little bit deceptive, and <laughs> on his wedding night, he 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 switched them. He gave Leah to Jacob instead of Rachel, and so uh, Jacob unknowingly married Leah. And so now he's married to Leah, who was the eldest. And so then he works another seven years to get Rachel's hand as well. So now he has two wives. What a predicament! But then he has these twelve kids from well. Leah primarily, and then their uh, their handmaidens, some of their servants, uh, were given to Jacob as well. That's just how it, some of that was in the Old Testament. Certainly not how it is today, nor was it necessarily right then either. But nonetheless, uh, Jacob is having these children from uh, Leah, Leah's handmaiden, and then Rachel's handmaiden because Rachel's womb was barren. But then Rachel finally conceives and has a child. In their her old age, in in Jacob's old age, and his name is Joseph. So he is is the first son of Rachel, who is obviously who is the love of Jacob's life. Rachel, this wife that he really worked for fourteen years for, and finally she has a son. And so Jacob is said to love Joseph the most. And where we see this um, is in uh, Genesis thirty-seven. Uh, it says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was the boy, the boy with the sons of Bilhal and Zilphal, his father's wife. And Joseph brought, uh, brought a bad report, or what did I say, a bad report to them, to their father. Now Israel loved, here it goes, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him <coughs> more than all his brothers, they hated him. And could not speak peacefully to him. Now, 
one day, further on in chapter 37, uh, Joseph was going to go meet his brothers uh, in, in a different city um, as they were uh, shepherding some flocks and stuff. And his brothers uh, saw him approaching. He says this in verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the uh, one of these pits, which was a cistern. And uh, then we will say to the that, or sorry, I can't read right now for some reason. <laughs> then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of it, he rescue, rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in this wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And then later on, they finally des- the decide. Really, it was uh, uh, it was uh, Judah's idea um, to instead of killing him, let's just uh, let's just sell him to the Ishmaelites as a slave and get some money for him, and then pretend like he was killed by an animal. So that's what they end up doing. So so there is the progression right there. Joseph was loved by his father more than they were. Joseph got this beautiful robe of many colors, and they didn't, and so they coveted what Joseph had. They coveted the love that his father had for him. They coveted the, the, the gifts that his father gave him, and they hated him, and it led to a desire to kill him. And they were going to kill him, except Judah decided, hey, let's not do that. Let's uh, sell him to the Ishmaelites instead and make some money off of it and just pretend like he was dead. So that, that's the progression right there. And that's what we see in our society. That's what happens. That is the logical Outworking that is the logical flow of coveting or envy is to is to kill, is to murder, is to create conflict. It's what it leads to. So when we see a society like America right now and we see all this coveting happening, we should be – I don't want to say we should be pessimistic, but – Apart from God changing hearts, the natural progression is that it will end up in greater and greater and greater and greater conflict, whether verbal conflict or eventually physical conflict. That is just the natural progression. That is the natural flow of sin. And that's a a crazy thing. But now here's the deal. If you know the story of Joseph, and if if you're versed in your Bible, you probably do know it very well. There's even a movie made after it. Joseph goes to Egypt. Uh, <laughs> an adulterous wife of his of his master tries to get him to lie with her because he was a good-looking guy, and he flees. But then she says that he tried to lie with her and lied, and so then he was thrown in prison. And eventually, he uh, becomes—I mean, the story goes. He interpreted some dreams for Pharaoh, and then uh, the dreams became true, and he was placed over uh, all of Egypt— only, second in command, only behind Pharaoh himself, and he really became the the ruler of all of Egypt. And eventually, his brothers came to buy grain from him, and in a sense, they bowed down to him as really their ruler. And so that's the very end. They were afraid that J- 
Joseph was going to enact justice or vengeance on his brothers for selling him into slavery. And Joseph says this amazing line, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So here's the principle. As we look in our society right now and we see all this inequity, some people have more, some people have less, some people have more gifts, some people have less, some people have a tremendous intellect, some people are born, well, severely disabled with an IQ that is that is just really nothing. They can't even necessarily think or, or do anything on their own. So we have all this inequity in this world, uh, all these differences, differences in possession, differences in power, differences in privilege, whatever, whatever you want to think of it as. And the point is, is that every difference was ordained by God and is controlled by God. Indeed, in Psalm 139, we see that David is saying that God has written out his days in his book before there was any of them. God has already written our days. He's already predetermined our our lives. And he's predetermined what we would have, what he would give us. And everything that we do have is a gift. And so Joseph was able to see that, hey, even your evil sin, brothers of mine, to kill me and then eventually sell me into slavery instead. And all these years of, of my suffering, being a slave, sitting in prison, even though I didn't deserve to be in prison because I actually didn't try to sleep with my master's wife, all this injustice that happened to Joseph, Joseph said it was ordained and planned by God to bring about good and really to bring about the salvation of a people so that they wouldn't die, that eventually God can make them into a nation, the nation of Israel. So it's, it's incredibly amazing. And so the point is, you today, sitting in America, or wherever you're at, if you're listening in a different country, wherever you're at, all that you have is given to you by God. You have nothing of your own, and everything that you do have, you should be grateful for and thankful for and content with. And you should be content in God ultimately. Mm-hmm. Because he's giving you everything that you do have. And so you have no right to say that I should have more. You have no right to say that. You should have no right to look at somebody else and say I should have what they have. None at all. So this whole idea, this whole, you could say, presupposition of the world that we need this equality, we need this equity, we need the sameness, we need... We need the people that have less. They need to have more. It goes, no, you that you can't make that principle biblically. You cannot justify that, that idea biblically at all. There's differences all over the Bible, and they're never said to be bad or wrong. So, again, just this idea of coveting what you do not have is, is absolutely pervasive right now. Do you have anything to add to that, Dan? I know you yeah. do have some other scriptures. Well, yeah, I've been... Since we began to talk about this, I've perused lots of scriptures. But yeah, you know, you go to the Gospels and you see the principle of labors in the vineyard in uh, Matthew 20. Yeah. You know, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And uh, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And on and on and throughout the day, he found more workers. And even down to the last of the day, the last few hours of the day, he found workers. But he essentially paid them all the same, right? Right. So, uh, verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, 
call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last group to the first. So the last group meaning uh, the ones that worked fewer hours than the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, uh, first, you know, the ones that earlier in the morning, they thought that they would receive more, but each one of them was also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner. And of course, you could you could read through that, but the bottom line was, um, uh, you know, he answered them, uh, friend, I'm doing no wrong. Did you not agree to work me with me for a denarius? Take what's yours and go. But I yeah. wish I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. It's not lawful for me to do what I wish. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? And mm. and and this this is the same with God. Like He gives each of us what we need uh, to know Him, to walk with Him, to serve Him, for life and godliness. And you could go to this story. You could go to Luke nineteen and the talents. Each mm. is given different talents, an amount of talents, and they are to invest them. They are to uh, uh, use those resources. And in the Luke 19, even the one that decided to bury the resources and not use them is the one that's uh, criticized. It, it, right. And so, uh, again, my, the way I see this is two or three things. Number one, it's being thankful. It's being, it's being thankful, uh, to God. You see this in the scripture. How, do, how it's contentment. How do you express contentment? You, you, you express gratefulness. You express thankfulness for who God made me to be, what God gave me. And then I am to be faithful with that which God has given me. So my focus is on the Lord and focus on faithfulness for what he has given me. And my focus is not comparing myself to others or assuming mm. or even assuming uh, that uh, anybody uh, particularly my government is somehow going to be able to give me the same as everybody else. Right. Right. I mean, it's just, that's impossible. That's impossible. And, um, not that we're trying to talk about the whole political scene right now, but again, it's the more, the bigger issue is coveting. Now there is the scripture in James, as you talked about James and two about partiality. We could talk right. about that. We could tell there's a sin of partiality where you are showing partiality towards somebody. Now that's different. So as much as we can make the playing field fair for people, an open public square, a fair place to play, that makes sense. But I can't determine outcome. I can't, right. I can't say everybody's going to end up with a trophy. I can't do that. And it's actually counterproductive. But I was thinking of a couple examples here, Sam. One was, and I think I told you about this quote I saw the other day. There's a, 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 a guy writing right now. I'm always hesitant to mention names, by the way anymore because all of a sudden somebody comes out writing something <laughs> that I don't like. So I won't even mention his name, <laughs> but it's, but it's a great quote by a guy, a younger guy that's been writing a lot on, uh, on, on, uh, even this current cultural stuff. He was interviewed recently. Well, I'll just tell you, I don't think this is bad. His name's Samuel Say, S-E-Y. Uh, uh, he, he's writing, he's been interviewed, uh, uh, on these, on the current issues going on culturally. And he has a lot to, he's said a lot of good things. Let me just say that. I don't know everything the guy believes, so I can't, it's not like I'm saying you can believe everything. But he had this great quote. He said, God allowed my father to leave before I was born so that he, God, would be my father even after I die. My father's absence created a scenario that makes God present in my life. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. So Christian, rejoice. All things work for your good. 
You see, he's, yeah. he's, he's saying something very similar to Joseph. Like, right. okay, the, this wasn't a good thing in and of itself. But right. my focus, my focus is on God. And God allowed this in my life for his purposes. And I rejoice in that. And that's the expression I'm talking about of this thankfulness, the expression of um, this gratefulness to God, that even this difficult thing was a profound wonder that created a wonder for this Samuel say, brought about his salvation. Right. And so instead of walking around grumbling and comparing himself, he's thankful to God. So another one that I would say that um, I tried to impart to my kids, we had five children and I have uh, five grandchildren with another one on the way any day. Um, but I would take my kids out. I was thinking just sitting here because I'm sitting here in the area right now, but um, I would take my kids out on my deck when the sun was shining in the middle of the day. And I, w- I would ask them if they could each feel the heat of the sun and they could, you know, and then I would look at one of them and I'd say, okay, uh, Stacy, um, the fact that Alyssa is feeling the heat of the sun, does that make your feeling of the heat of the sun any less? So since she gets some absorption from the sun, uh, heat from the sun, does that mean you're colder? And she say, well, no. And I would go around, and my point with all my kids is you all are experiencing 100% of the sun's warmth and light. And each one of you are not taking away from another one because you get to experience it. And mm. I would equate that to God's love for them. And help them understand that. And then further, I would say, and that's the love your father has for each of you. Mm. Like, like I don't love you more than the other one. Now, I may appreciate something in you that God wired in you that I just, you hear me like, wow, did you see that thing Alyssa could do? Or wow, did you see that thing my son Dan could do? Or Christy or right. Stacy? Like, wow. Well, I'm in awe of each of them equally, if that makes sense. Right. I actually am. And I love them equally, just like the sun shining down. And I would constantly uh, try to emphasize that to my kids. Now, you know, at this age in life, do they even remember that? I don't know. You know? <laughs> and, but the point being is it's the same principle that's true of Scripture. And, um, right. and we've been called. So I'm, I'm kind of we're reflecting now on what, how do we handle this? Well, to recognize, right. recognize it, but then to be content and to be thankful. That's what the Scriptures. First Timothy 6 talks about these uh, 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 stepping in, uh, uh, enjoying con- with contentment these things. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me let me just read it. It says, uh, "Yeah, but godliness with con- contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we there can take is. nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that yeah. plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving." That some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Yeah, and see, and, and, and again, if we're going to be really do well with Scripture, there's ditches on each side of this thing, right? It right, didn't, right. It, it didn't say that wealth is wrong. In fact, if you go to Ecclesiastes five, uh, Ecclesiastes five nineteen, it says, "Wealth." And being content with the wealth you've been given, and being able to use that wealth wisely and steward it, it well, yeah, is a gift from God. Well, that, and that's where we go back to the parable of the talents. Here's the deal. Right, right. One, one guy was given five talents. Yep. And one guy was only given one. There, and, and it, well, it even says that they were given or they were apportioned according to their ability. Okay, so yep. So there is, there is a sense that, like, usually this is the case, at least in, like, a capitalistic society as America, 
where the guys that do have more money, in a sense, it's because they had more ability. Maybe they have a better intellect. or yeah. Yeah. It's just like that's just usually the case. There is a strong cor- correlation between, between intellect and competence and the amount of money that you make or your success yeah. monetarily, in a sense. Right, right. There's a strong correlation. Right. So the point is, though, that one guy was given a lot more, and he stewarded it well because yeah. he's competent, and he made 10. And the guy that was given one, it says according to his ability, obviously he wasn't very competent. And what did he do? He just buried it. Right. And he was still left with one. He was call, He was said to be a wicked yep. uh, servant. Yeah, isn't that an interesting principle? You want So to talk, interesting. I mean, we could talk about free markets. Uh, I mean, that's what that whole picture actually is, is like God gives certain abilities— and then with that ability, again, I, I said it earlier, I think, I am called by God to be a good steward of that. And, and the word I always go to is, I'm to be faithful with what God gave me. Yep, yep. And I'm not supposed to really be looking around and comparing myself to other people. Exactly. That's not my call. My call is to be faithful <laughs> with what God gave me to be and do. And this is, this and is he, where I just, and, and I'll it's, go for it. Well, no, I just, that's the thing. Uh, and, and. You, you may want to go further. There's one other area that I wanted to touch on that when you brought this up. Uh, that Well, let me just say it right now. Here's another one that's very important that goes along with this. Okay, and let me, I'll just give you a context for myself. Okay, so first of all, I am a grandpa and a parent now. But I don't really want to try to talk from a position of being a grandparent and a parent. I, I want to say, no, there's a biblical issue that we all need to understand. And so I'll even go back before I uh, I felt this so so as such an importance, I started seeing it as important. As I was in my uh, 30s, so, um, you know, 25 or almost 30 years ago, um, a book came out by uh, uh, Dennis Rainey. Uh, he's with Campus Crusade with Christ, uh, for Christ, you know, it's crew now, uh, the Family Life Ministries. And he wrote a book yep. ca- called The Tribute. And I was really struck by that book, and I read it. But it was all about honoring our parents, Mm. And what he was even seeing back then, so like you said, Sam, in some ways there's nothing new under the sun, right? But there was this like lack of honor for parents in our society. Mm. And he wrote this whole book about honoring our parents. And the point in that, it wasn't honoring your parents because like they were the best parents. It was honoring your parents because God gave you these parents. And it wasn't because they did everything right. I mean, they could have been really bad parented parents. But I, but the Ten Commandments tell me to honor my mother and father. And Ephesians picks up on this in Ephesians 6. And it tells me that this is the one command that comes with a promise, which is fascinating. Oh, man. That, that all will go well with you. That life will go well with you if you honor your parents. But think about this. It's the same issue that we're talking about. Like... And you see this. You you see a, a, a generation that, if you will, dogs their parents. Well, they should have been better at this or should have understood this emotional thing better or done this better or blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my responsibility as a Christian, particularly, is to honor my parents. And again, yep. I, I'm not trying to say that like some hidden message to my kids out there. That's not really what I'm doing. I'm really... there's, there's no there's no conditional clause on that on your no. parents if they're nice right. to you. <laughs> and so, so when Dennis Rainey wrote that, one of the applications in there that came out uh, was to write a uh, tribute to your parents, write a tribute mm. to your family. 
And the reason I bring this up, so I did. I wrote a tribute. Um, it was a, a tribute to an imperfect family. And yep. I, I started right out. This is not some uh, mushy Hallmark card. Uh, we were an imperfect family. There were difficulties. Mm-hmm. There were things that weren't great. Mm-hmm. But, but... I want to highlight some things that have influenced my life to this day that were wonders that you guys gave me. And I wrote this whole tribute. And mm-hmm. then I, I had it put in a beautiful little frame and, you know, with a mat and everything. And I took it to my parents and I could hardly get through it reading it. When you started reading it, I didn't realize how emotional I would be. And my parents were emotional. And realized I didn't grow up in a home that would be, you know, it was a moral home. And we talked maybe a little bit about God around Christmas and Easter, but it wasn't a Christian home. I didn't learn uh, to walk with Christ and theology from my family, which is, you know, my hmm. life today. Right. Um, but they gave me, and God used my parents to give me incredible things. So I wrote this tribute up to this day. My parents are in their late 80s. So this is uh, 25 years later, at least 25, maybe 27, 28, almost 30 years later. You go into my parents' home, and in the center of their home is that tribute on the wall. <laughs> wow. You can't come in any door of that house without seeing that tribute. It, 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 it is this big deal. And I would actually say it, it, it changed, not entirely, but it matured. Let me say that. It matured my relationship with my uh, father and my mother in a tremendous hmm. way. And, hmm. But it's powerful to say, to, to show this contentment and this thankfulness and this honor instead of walking around grumbling about, oh, yeah, I had a dysfunctional this, and I didn't get this, and I didn't get this, and I didn't have the starting point you had. Uh, I hear people yep. say this. And people make these assumptions, too. You know, my wife and I ended uh, started life together uh, with less than $100. We didn't have anything. We didn't, you know, and now $100 in our time would have been maybe 250 or 300 today. Maybe five hundred, but that's no money in today's money. But yeah, that's all. We, that's couple. all. Yeah, that's all we had to our name when we started life. Yeah, and so you know, I could walk around and say, "Well, I didn't have this, and my parents didn't give me." My point in all of it is that the Christian call is to have our focus on God and to be thankful and grateful for who He made me to be, for what He has given me. And now my responsibility this day as we're doing this podcast is to look at my day, my time, my health, things he's given me, the lack of those things, and say, what do I do with that? That's my Mm -hmm. job. That's my responsibility before God. Right. And, man, does that bring about a joy? Does that bring about a a rejoicing in the gospel? He saved me. I'm his kid. He's given me exactly what I need. And now I have a mission and a task to carry in this lifetime, just like those workers in the vineyard. I'm going to do my part. At the end of the day, he can dole out rewards and all that sort of stuff. That's his business. And uh, I just get to put the pedal to the metal and enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's it right there. I mean, the, the principle, again, presuppositions, God is sovereign. He's in control. Everything you have is a gift from him. You are called to steward it to his glory. Um, and if you don't, you're guilty of that then. Just like that, the, the, the servant who buried his one talent instead of stewarding it, stewarding it and investing it. And again, not to look horizontally, not to look at what others have been given because some God has given more. Some God has given more ability. Uh, some God has given indeed more material things to, to steward. 
mm-hmm. but they are called to steward it. And if they yeah. don't steward it in this life, there will be consequences. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah I mean, good. it's just crazy yeah. how temporal we think like, oh man, it's all about here and now. And it's like, no, it's not at all. It's all about the life after. It's all about where you spend eternity. And don't look yeah. at the guy with a million dollars and, and covet it and think, oh man, life's so unfair. Maybe that guy doesn't steward well his million dollars and, 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 and hoards it and, and mm-hmm. lives for himself. And man, he's going to wake up in hell one day. Yeah. Great. Well, that was awesome. Yeah. And you're going to, it's like crazy that you look at these, these physical temporal realities and you think that this is just all it is in that. And we have to like create this equity right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's no way you can. Yeah. Because God, thing. God didn't ordain it. For yeah, here yeah, now. right, and and this life is just a tiny little speck on you know. It's just exactly. I mean, it is just a little blip on the screen when you lay it out. You know, et- all of eternity. I mean, it's hard to comprehend, but all of eternity, like millions and millions, billions of years, and what is my little, you know, so far six decades? It's just this little blip on the screen. Exactly. And so, you know, in fact, that's another one of those areas, Sam, that I I wonder sometimes, like, see, I. Even as we talk about this, it can it, we have to be careful, even in a podcast as you and I talk, because I understand all the temptations. I mean, like I, I deal with this, that stuff every day. And so we're sort of speaking to ourselves, right? That's why, yeah. like, in when, like Absolutely. I said, there I was in my 30s, and I had to come back to the drawing board and go, you know, I need to do a better job at honoring my parents. So, I mean, we all, that's sort of what this podcast is about. So even the younger people that are listening that haven't thought about some of this, um, Younger than me, I guess anybody younger than fifty-five. So whatever. <laughs> uh, my point is, is I hope you receive it as like, wow, this is a great. Uh, this is what the scriptures teach us. You know, like you started with presuppositions. Like this is what the scriptures teach us of how to view this stuff culturally and in our lives. And so, with that said, I wanted to, I wanted to add one because I again I would understand this. I say in my lifetime I'd like to enjoy this thing or this thing or this thing, and I'm not sure there's anything wrong with that. But I do wonder sometimes when people have this thing called a bucket list. Oh, this is on my bucket <laughs> yeah. list. I'm like, it's almost like this race to fill this bucket list before you die. Yeah. <laughs> because when you die, it's going to really be miserable. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as, Man, a, does but, it get... <laughs> but as a Christian, I mean, it's, it's, I'm just saying, think about it. It's, it's kind of so, stupid. <laughs> it's sort of comical. Like, like, okay, I really, you know, and in our, you're in my world, we, we love this outdoor stuff. And um, I remember, in fact, I remember watching these young guys. Uh, they were probably in their 20s, and they were, it was one of these hunting show things. And they were on some hunt up in the Northwest Territories. And, I mean, they hunted caribou and moose. and I mean, they went on this incredible trip where they hunted everything, you know, three or four species anyway. That, you know, for us, that seems like everything. But the, these big things, you know. And i never forget they got done. I was watching it. It's just, you know, short program, but it was really fun to watch. And I enjoyed it. And they get down to the end and they go, yeah, every every person needs to experience this once in their life. And I thought, huh, this is interesting. So I went, at the end, they kind of showed the different outfitters and different people they went with to accomplish this hunt they went on. Sam, the thing was like, I added it all up, what they spent on that hunt that they went on. It was easily $50,000. Oh, yeah. And I was just thinking, what person? No, no don't, don't misunderstand. I know there's people that God is blessed with lots of wealth, like we talked about in Ecclesiastes 5, 19, and it doesn't even bother me. Like, I'm like, praise God. It's wonderful. And I know there's people that can do that, and it's not a lot. 
But it's not the average Joe that's going to be able to spend $50,000 on, <laughs> on, on, on a 10-day hunt. You know, yeah. like, and that, you know, and I just kind of chuckled to myself thinking, well, that's a neat idea, but like, I'm not going to do that in my lifetime, I don't think. <laughs> no. So I'm pretty excited to, you know, spend $30 and go get a uh, turkey. Yeah, across the street. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I mean, so all I'm saying is that when you, when you, when you assess that rightly, uh, again, not a guess, somebody doing a bucket list, don't don't hear what I'm not saying. Right. But like, right. Right. I have this mission of God to accomplish in this lifetime. And it doesn't mean I can't enjoy a few things and do some things, but like, this isn't all there is. And when I'm done here, I'm going to step into the presence of God and it's going to be a whole lot more awesome than a Northwest territory, you know, in my case, Northwest territory hunt or something. Right. and again, it's that sense of, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you. This is your business. I'm going to do what you've called me to do and be content with what you've given me. And when you do that, it's really crazy, like how much I can enjoy it. I, you know, mm-hmm. this goes with life and marriage and career. And like the simple things of life become like really profound, you know. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the hunting thing, Sam. I mean, what a cool thing that you have the freedom to go and whether it's ever some record class thing or not, you can literally enjoy the process and enjoy getting something because you know it's just this gift from God and it has its proper perspective. Right, exactly. So so we could labor that more, but, you know, I've been given some gifts, and that's how I see them. You know, I I, I moved to a place actually for ministry. had no comprehension that I would step into the world I stepped into here, which was really crazy. I I literally moved to uh, Kansas I didn't know that you could hunt the deer like you can hunt here. Right. If anybody doesn't know about Kansas whitetail hunting, it's, yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it's world and, class. And then what's funny, what's crazy, is you'd think I would know that because, like, hunting, I mean, like, I literally have photographs of literally grand great-grandpas with bucks that they got hanging from poles, you know. Uh, yep. Gra- uh, great-grandpas, grandpas. My dad, like, it was a whole heritage I grew up in. And I love it. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, some people grew up in a home where you may be golfing or they were a KU fan or their dads and grandpas all went to the games or whatever. I mean, everybody can have their things. But it was a world I grew up in. I moved to this place to, to be in, engaged in a, a ministry that I saw really an opportunity here to minister in the city. And that I wasn't even thinking about that. In fact, I remember when right. my wife asked me, well, what, what about hunting that you enjoy doing about, uh, you know, uh, deer hunting? I said, well, I can go back to Michigan, hunt with my buddies, you know, every year, every other year for a few days, and that'll be fine. <laughs> Which, you had no idea. Nobody from Kansas necessarily wants to go to Michigan and hunt once you, once you right. taste this. <laughs> but my point in all that is, like, it was just a gift. It was dropped in my lap, but I wasn't really after it. Right. And so I am, like, thrilled to death with what i've been able to you know um enjoy here is my point right and so i've and tasted I think that's, that yeah i think that's important to realize because sometimes people can again you you talked about these ditches and again uh we, we were so harsh in this sin of coveting desiring other things and positions and being someone you're not meant to be and and you can fall into the ditch of like 
so opposing that that any any possessions of at all are just bad then, right. or that right. acquiring anything is just sinful. It's like no, that's not it at all. Yeah, that's like, not what we're t- not, we're not saying that. Uh, we're not saying that. Like right. having things is is is. Uh, and here's <laughs> there's a principle in scripture. Paul talks about it. Like everything again is created by God. Mm-hmm. So food, clothing, all this stuff that we presently experience. I mean, obviously there wasn't cars a thousand years ago, but the God had created a, a world where cars would be a reality one day, uh, and phones and technology and, and touchpad and touchscreens and all this stuff would be a reality. So it's not that those things are bad inherently or money is somehow inherently evil. No, uh, but it's again, it's 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 that's why the link to idolatry is so important. That if I desire this in an idolizing way, like this is what I'm going after, this is what I'm worshiping, this is what I'm living for, then it's wicked. But if the experience of your of physical things in this life is to the glory of God because you're recognizing that all that you do have and all that there is is created by God and for God and from him, then it's it's good and it, it is glorifying to God. I can eat a, a wonderful meal. I mean, I I really do enjoy duck. I love eating duck, <laughs> and it's a wonderful thing that I get to go shoot ducks uh, in North Dakota uh, and experience a, a joyous uh, you know hunt. And it, I get to eat this duck, and it's delicious. And the point is, is Am I glorifying God in that? Am I thankful to God in this delicious meal and that he created this duck and that he created this this opportunity for me to be able to go hunt them and enjoy that? It's just like, is it to the glory of God? Is it for the glory of God? And am I also, am I thankful for the opportunities I have been given to go hunt? Because it's really easy to go on something like Instagram and then uh, follow a bunch of other hunters and then scroll through their pictures of their hunts that they go on and see all the ducks that they shot or see the giant bucks that they shot and go, oh, I wish I had that. And forget that, man, you've been given all these other opportunities, though. Like, you've already, yeah. ex- you know, yeah. shot a big buck and you've experienced sweet duck hunts. Like, are you forgetting what God has given you? Yeah. So here, here it tells and, you, tells you how, oh man, tells you how shallow we are. Here's this incredible. Exactly. Well, I'm laughing even now. Do you realize what's happened? Like, <laughs> we start with this really serious message of coveting yeah. and dealing, with it. and what do we go to? Oh, the thing we covet so much. <laughs> yeah, ducks and hunting. <laughs> now you get a taste of Dan and I. <laughs> so laugh with us, those that are listening, because you have your stuff too. Exactly. And that's the point. And we need to see it and we need to recognize it and uh, confess it, be honest about it, and um, learn to be grateful and thankful is what I would say. And honor your parents. Oh, anybody listening, think about this. Seriously. Uh, I was going to look up before I got on today, but I forgot. It'd be curious to me if that book called The Tribute, I'm guessing it's still out there somewhere. But it was a tremendous, tremendous call. It was a call to just honor your parents. And I think, again, it's this... It's the same idea of contentment and thankfulness and gratefulness. And at the end of the day, it's all actually a gratefulness to God 
right. that, that he's provided things, given me opportunities, allowed me to experience things, given me the wife he's given me, the kids he's given me. Even you know, I have five kids, they're each on their own journeys, you know, some is pretty rocky in certain moments and times. And like, that's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it, it, that's God's business. Right. You know, and so what do I do in the middle of that faithfulness? I, I teach my kids the truth. Once they go off on their own as young adults, I have to let them just fly. And then I pray my guts out and right. God's going to have to show up in their lives and guide them and lead them. And uh, I take my hands off the wheel, you know, and uh, yep. I mean, it's true in every area of life. So, yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll end on this scripture because, again, it just kind of proves a, this point again of <laughs> man's sin of coveting and, and then uh, how we're actually supposed to live. And it's at the very end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. This is after Jesus' uh, resurrection, and he's uh, having a meal with the disciples, uh, a few of them on the on the shore of, uh, pretty sure it was the Sea of Galilee. I'm not, uh, I maybe got that wrong. Anyway, they're on a the shore eating some fish. And uh, uh, I'll just start reading this. Uh, verse 18, Jesus says this to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So Jesus is telling Peter, this is how you're going to die for my glory. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciples was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So the point is, Peter coveted, in a sense, uh, 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 John's position. And, and, and I, I guess Peter looked at his, his, what Jesus said about how he was going to die, and he didn't like it. And he said, what about this guy, John, the other disciple? And Jesus says, well, what, if, what is it to you if I never even let him taste death and he never has to die, ever? He has all this privilege. He won't even have to die. What is that to you? You follow me. Look horizontally. That's the point. We look around, and we see all the stuff that people have. We go, but what about him? What about what he has? No, don't even look at him. You follow me, mm. and you live for my glory. That's 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 all I have to say. So, yep. thanks for uh, you did good. Thanks for listening to <laughs> thanks for listening to this podcast episode. I hope you maybe think about coveting a little bit more seriously now, and even just search your own heart because it is indeed the doorway to a whole assortment of sins. So, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I encourage you to share it with another. But. Uh, Yes, tune into the the next episode that we have coming up in the future. Thanks again. Bye.